So this morning, we are continuing our sermon series, Come to Him, and our scripture reading is Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days, that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, The Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Thanks, Holly. Um, well, hey, my name's Native. I haven't met you yet. Really good to be with you this morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we're going to try something new this morning. Never done it before. A little participation, all right? So I want you to grab that three by five card that's near you. And I want to invite you to write on it, maybe one or two words, but, but in answer to this question, what keeps you up at 3 a.m. in the morning? By the way, it can't be kids, okay? At least not if they're like up, you know what I mean? Just, but what is it that at 3 a.m. in the morning uh, grips you with fear? But take a moment. What comes to mind? And by the way, it doesn't have to be 3 a.m. in the morning. It could be middle of the afternoon, all right? So whatever it is that grips your fear, um, give you a moment. All right, well, you can keep writing. Maybe you've got like a list of 10 things. That's fine. Um, Here's the thing. The, The reason why, whether you participate or not, the reason why every one of us could do that is because we all know something inherently. Uh, we all know we're vulnerable. Every one of us. We all know it. 
You know, in Psalm 34, the passage I just read, it speaks in there about trouble coming into your life. It speaks about being crushed in spirit. That means that life has chewed you up and spit you out. And here's the thing. It doesn't matter who you are. You could be the most talented and gifted person here, and you're still vulnerable. For example, you could be really good at what you do at your job, and yet, maybe on your circumstances, there's rumors of downsizing. And it doesn't matter how good you are at your job, you're vulnerable. Or um, when I go to the gym... And I see all these people working out, and they are fit, and they are healthy. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter who you are, because next week you get a diagnosis. One of our friends from college, our age, just got a cancer diagnosis. Right? You know that. Or put it this way, if you're a student here today... Perhaps what you wrote on the card was just, I mean, uh, is just that test tomorrow or that class. And the reason why that's so fearful is because you know you have to get that passed and do well so you can get this next thing and this next thing and this thing. The, the future is just, it's just daunting, right? Or for some of us, it's just, it's just a reality of, of kids, And just not knowing how they're going to handle life. How they're going to grow up in this world. As they get older, you you see more and more of their strengths, their weaknesses they have. And you're wondering, how do I help them navigate the world that we're living in? And it keeps you up at night. And so here's the deal. No matter what you believe this morning, no matter if you're a Christian or not, uh, you have to find a way... To inhabit your vulnerability. You have to figure out something that you can do with your life so that when you face your fears, there's something sturdy underneath it. Um, Psalm 34. It's a prayer by David and the prescript to it kind of gives us an idea of what's happening in David's life. It's actually in the season of David's life in which he's being chased down by Saul. This king who's jealous of him, fearful of him, and, and David's on the run. And yet, I don't know if you caught it, but look at what David writes in verse 4. He says this, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. And and commentators note that this this doesn't mean in that present moment necessarily that, that David's circumstances changed. Okay? It's not that everything got better, but what's happening is something has changed in David. In other words, he's found a way to inhabit his vulnerability. He's found a way to face his fears and to be delivered from them. 
And so Psalm 34 is David saying, I found a way. I found a way to face your fears. I found a way to inhabit your vulnerability. That's what the entire psalm is about. And we're going to see three things today that we've got to do. We've got to boast, we've got to taste, and we've got to receive. Three things, boast, taste, receive. So let me pray and we'll get in. So Father, what we do not know, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us. For the sake of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So first thing, boast. The, the, the secret, the secret to David's confidence, the, the, the secret to David being delivered from his fears is all grounded in verse 2. And look with me what it says. David says, my, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. It's the term boast. And, and that term... In that day and age, it was, it was really meant, in a sense, towards having confidence when you're facing a military adversary. Uh, it, in other words, in that day and age, to boast was to think of like having a great warrior, or it was thinking about the size of your army, or the, the military arsenal or equipment that you had. And it makes sense, right? Because if you've got someone after you, making you feel vulnerable, then you're going to look out and go, okay, who are, who are the dudes that are just huge and don't care and are going to just get after it, right? And you're going to be out like, hey, where's, how many do we have? And how do they face against that other foe, right? That's what you're thinking. So that word boast is talking about having confidence in something. And David's saying, I found something that you can have confidence in no matter what you fear. And David says, you've got to boast in the Lord. Now, let me put it this way. Many of us hear that. And we're like, oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That's the right answer. I know it's the right answer. Some of us are here just exploring. We don't know if that's the right answer. But either way, there's a question. What does that even mean? Like, what does that look like? Now, this past week, I was reading... Um, this devotional by Tim Keller on the Psalms. And in Psalm 34, he says this about what it means to boast. He says this, you've got to build an identity that gets its significance or glory, not from your accomplishments or racial identity or talent or moral efforts or family, but from God. That's how Keller unpacks what it means to boast. Another way of saying it would be this. You need to learn to tap your meaning, your significance, and your security from God. And so the question this morning is, really, functionally speaking, where, do you, where are you building your identity? Functionally. Like, like where are you finding your significance? Um... I was thinking about this week, um, when I was 15, uh, I was dumped by my girlfriend for a linebacker, okay? This dude was huge. I was like five foot 10, like 114. I mean, it was, and you know, those are the days, right? When you're like trying to figure out who you are, 
Like what you're, you know, do you matter? I remember just being like, I feel very vulnerable right now, right? I don't want that to ever happen to me again. So you know what I did? I bought a weight set. Clearly it works, right? <laughs> Clearly. I'm huge. Um, but, but seriously though, um, what was I doing there? I was trying to find a way to do something that could rebuild my identity, where I could be safe and, and be significant, where I wasn't threatened by people who like, were like linebackers, but I could actually keep a girlfriend, right? Functionally speaking, if I'd go back in that day when I was 15, I would have said my boasting or my glory was relationships. And I needed to achieve or lift, (laughs) get huge so I could get one. So where are you building your identity? I mean, we're all there. Listen, even if you're Christian or, like, even if you're a Christian, just hear me on this. Like, you can say, I believe this, and say my identity's there, but functionally speaking, where do you go during the week? I mean, many of us, let's be honest in this room, we're just a bunch of achievers. So we put our stock in grades or our careers. It's why one of the most common experiences in Masson is the imposter syndrome. Have you heard of it? You feel like a fraud. You've made it, but you feel like a fraud. You don't want to be found out. Or we put our significance in our friendships or our relationships or sex or romance. It's where we tap our meaning. But, you know, Pastor Dave Bisgrove puts it this way, that the more you love something, the fear that it will be taken away increases. So don't you understand, the the, the subtext actually of verse 2 is that if you boast in anything else other than God, your fears will not dissipate. They will actually overwhelm you. Because you or they will let you down. And so David is saying, you've got to learn to center your life, build your identity on God. It doesn't, and here's a remarkable thing, it doesn't mean loving those things less. It just means loving God a whole lot more. It doesn't mean like you love chemistry less. It just means your significance is rooted in who you are in God and not based on what you do in the test, right? Right? This is a secret David shows us to being delivered from all your fears is you've got to learn to boast in God. You've got to learn to build your significance, your security on him and nothing else. But what does that practically mean? Well, look with me at verse 8, the first part, first line there. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You, you, the second thing is you've got to taste. Um, so a few weeks back was the Super Bowl. 
And uh, we're hanging out with some friends, and one of our friends is like legit Greek in background. Like he's, like his family goes back to Spartans. It's really sweet. And his wife made like a traditional Greek soup. And I mean, there was this, I mean, this was a remarkable Super Bowl party. There was so much food, so much to drink. It was wonderful. So many great options. And I hadn't had the soup yet. And Amanda was like, my wife was like, hey, you got to try the soup. It's amazing. I'm like, well, what is, what is it like? And she's like, well, it's got chicken. It's got some lemon in it, some other spices. And she's just raving about it, right? Now, if you were to come up to me and said, Nate, do you believe that this soup tastes like chicken and has lemon in it and tastes really good? I would have told you, yes, I believe it. but I haven't tasted it yet. And then I did taste it. I cannot tell you, I have never had something like that hit my palate. The chicken and the lemon, it was amazing. And then like four minutes later, I was raving. Have you had the soup? Right? Because that's what you do. But see, that's the point of this psalm right here. You see, to taste means not merely to believe, You've got to actually try it. You've actually got to put it into practice. That's what it means to taste. And there are two things in Psalm 34 of what it means to taste. Two things you've got to put into practice to build your identity, your significance on God. And the first is the second part of verse 8. It says this, Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Throughout the psalm, David is calling those who are in their fears to call on God, to cry out to him in prayer. So, for example, in verse 6, David says, the poor man cried and the Lord heard him. In verse 5, he says those who look to him are radiant. In verse 4, we just read it, I sought the Lord and he answered me. So the first thing about tasting is this when you're vulnerable, when you're fearful, to build your identity on him means you go to him and you cry out to him. You find your refuge in him. Now, that word refuge, if you're familiar with the Bible, we, we, you know, you've probably heard it before, God being a refuge, but what does it actually mean? Um, Michael Jordan, in his induction into the NBA Hall of Fame, he said this. He said, the game of basketball has been everything to me, my refuge, my place I I have always gone when I needed to find comfort and peace. Michael Jordan said, here's the deal. When I'm feeling unsettled, when I'm feeling unsure about myself, I go to a hardwood floor, 94 by 50 feet wide, and that's my refuge. That's where I go to know that I'm somebody. Dane Ortland, commentator, writes this. That's actually exactly what the Psalms are saying about God, not about the basketball court, right? That would not be a good refuge for many of us, right? The basketball court, that is. 
It means when we're vulnerable and fearful. We find in him safety, security. It means at 3 a.m. in the morning, where do you run, right? To taste, to taste means to go to him in prayer. And listen, it doesn't mean that you're automatically invincible that you go to him. It doesn't mean you're exempt from all trouble. I mean, in verse 18, or excuse me, 19, it says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, which means you're going to have trouble. Many, many afflictions. It doesn't mean you won't go through hardship, but notice what it says in verse 18. It says this, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. It means when you feel chewed up and spit out by the world, when you're crushed, the reason why David can speak of tasting how good the Lord is, he's been there, he's been crushed, and guess who's been there with him? The Lord has been near. The Lord has been there. That's the first thing. Where, where do you go when you're, you're fearful? Where do you go when you feel your vulnerability? What's your first take? Is it Netflix? Is it distract yourself with your phone? Like, what's your first take? Like, David's saying, you've got to taste this. It's not just mere belief. It's got to be, you've got to taste it. You've got to go to him. But secondly, to taste as one commentator put it, is to make the Lord the basis and guide for the conduct of your life. You got to make the Lord the basic guide and con- for, for the conduct of your life. Because look at verses 11 to 14. David writes, Come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? And David writes, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. David says, here's the deal. To taste that the Lord is good, you got to turn from evil, do good, seek peace and pursue it. Let me ask you this morning, what do you do when you're reading the scriptures or you're listening to a message and it convicts you or it challenges you. It challenges what you believe about God or it challenges about the way you're living. How do you respond? Because according to David, if you're going to taste, if you're going to build your identity on God, and it's in those moments where you actually have to say no to self and yes to God. Scott Sauls, a pastor, in a tweet a while back, he put it this way, the younger generations are suspicious of biblical ethics. The older generations of biblical justice. Jesus says you must have both. The reason why I think that's so helpful is because what Scott Sauls is just simply saying is like, even based on our age, we have certain things that we want to ignore, that are going to challenge us, 
If you're younger, here's what it probably is. If you're older, here's what it is. But Jesus doesn't, you know, it's just both and. It's not either or. I remember several years ago at a college retreat, a young woman came up to me after a message and she shared she was living with her boyfriend who she loved and wasn't a Christian. And she was coming to grips with what the scriptures said. To turn from evil and do good would mean to break up with him and move out. But obviously you could tell that wasn't going to be easy. But in that moment... It would mean saying no to self and saying yes to God. Or thinking about it this way, or how about in, in marriage, when you have a spouse who's been mistreated for years by another spouse, and they're sitting across from you, and they're telling you, and you can see the bitterness and the anger, and much of it rightly so for what's been done is not okay. But you also know at the end of the day, the call of what Scripture is going to call you to is going to be forgiveness. And it doesn't mean it's okay what happened. It's not, it's not being indifferent to that, but it's, it's, it is to suggest, it is to give them over to God and saying, I will not punish you. I will not take this out on you. Or put it this way, when the psalm says to seek peace, that means it's the term Shalom. That's universal flourishing. And that means, check this, that means you look out at your community and you're asking the question, where are the needs, physical, spiritual, emotional, and no matter what they believe, you pour yourself in there and you invest in it. That's what it means to seek peace. And here's the deal. That means, I mean, and that sounds nice, especially in Madison. Sounds great. Yeah, do that. But you understand something. Like, that's going to be saying no to comfort. Really, it's going to be no to comfort. Because that takes time. That takes resources. It's going to be, I mean, it just does. Financially, emotionally, everything. You know, in, um, many of you know this, in April, we're, we're getting our new associate pastor of outreach Really excited about it. Nate's a great guy. By the way, his name's Nate. Sorry about that. Yeah, that's not confusing. My name's Nate if you didn't know it, right? Um, But one of the things I'm excited about and hopeful for is in some ways just the opportunities that are going to come based on his gifting and based on his calling and based on what we're going to ask him to do. But I also know as a congregation, it's going to mean at times saying no to self and yes to what God's called us to. To opportunities to meet needs in the community. And we've done that for years, but this, this is going to be probably more, I would, I would submit. Here's the deal. It doesn't matter who you are this morning. All of us, there are areas of our lives in which we think and we live as if we'd be much happier apart from God's rules. We just do, like each one of us. That somehow his ethics and his ways are constraining. But the wisdom of Scripture to taste is actually to learn to say no to self and yes to him, even in those moments when he contradicts you. Because that's the good life. So 
So think about this for a moment. This boasting, this building your life on God, this identity on God, it, it involves tasting. And the tasting involves when you're fearful, calling out to him, running to him for refuge, and also aligning your life with his ways. And notice what verses 15 and 16 say about that. It says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears towards their cry. Notice it's integrating both those things. And the second part, verse 16, The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Notice something. One loses the face of God. The other gets his eye. Now, lastly, we've got to receive. And this will put it all together. Because look at verse 22. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Derek Kinder, in his commentary on this verse, says this, The whole verse is pregnant with meaning, which comes to birth in the gospel. And here's why. In the gospel of John, it's the gospel that actually has the most to say about the incarnation of Jesus, the enfleshment of the eternal Son of God. When John is describing Jesus being crucified... And that scene, he makes this note that the soldiers did not break Jesus' legs. And almost immediately after recording this eyewitness account in John 19.36, this is what he says, For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Where's that scripture? Psalm 34 Verse 20. In other words, when David was writing the psalm, he could not see that there was a righteous one who would come, who would cry out to God in the midst of his fears, who would actually perfectly, perfectly obey God in all of his conduct, never sin. And yet, here's, here's the tension. If you go to the scene on the cross, what happens? You see Jesus saying this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hold on. I thought you just said, if you live this way and you seek him out, he'll deliver you from all your fears. Why is God the Father turning his back on Jesus? And here's the answer. It's because of our sin. That's why. He's the ultimate fulfillment. Because we all know it, right? We, we all know, if we go back to verses 15 and 16, we're not righteous. We all know that we're on the evil side, that for surely God would forsake us. But here, in the gospel, in the gospel and what Jesus has done, that, 
That and that alone is how you can be rescued. That is how you can be redeemed. That is how you can know in him, if you take refuge in him, you will not be condemned. Paul says this in Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation in Christ. And listen, do you understand what that means? It means that God himself was willing to become vulnerable. He actually knows what it's like to be you, to face all of your fears. And guess what? He did that for you. And listen, that changes, that changes everything. Because, let me put it this way. Remember how I said at the beginning, you got you to boast in God means to build your identity on him. Because of what Jesus has done, this identity you have in the gospel, it cannot be achieved by you. It's not what you do. It's not how good you are. It is what he has done for you. And that can only be received by faith. It can't be achieved. It's got to be received. And therefore, it's a gift. And therefore, it's secure. It cannot change. It's not based on your performance, good or bad. This is how you can be delivered from all your fears. Because you recognize this God knows you all the way down to the depth of your being. Your sin and all. And he didn't spare his son to rescue you. It's a gift. And here's what it means. When you call on him at 3 a.m. in the morning or 3 o'clock in the afternoon when you're fearful, you can be confident whatever happens, downsizing, diagnosis, you fail the exam, the things that ultimately can hurt you, sin, Satan, and death, Jesus has already defeated. And guess what? He will be near you. He's near to the brokenhearted. He will not forsake you. And in your obedience to him, think about it this way. Those moments where you go, I don't want to do this. I want to do that, but I know what your word says. I want to move forward. Do you understand? Jesus has already walked that path. Jesus Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? He says this, I I know this cup, but he said, not my will, Father, but yours be done. I'll move forward in obedience. Why? For you, for them. And so you follow that path that he's already walked. So the way to inhabit your vulnerability the way to dissipate all your fears is to build your life on him. You got to boast. You got to find your worth, significance in the one who has given himself for you. You got to taste. You got to put it into action. Live it out. And you got to receive what he's given in and through his son. And listen, if that if that, and as that takes, takes root in your life, you know what's going to happen? It's exactly what happened to David. Because notice what David says in verse 3. He says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Listen, when you taste and you see that the Lord is good, when you experience your identity being secure in him, 
When you experience, actually, the constraints, the good constraints of what and who God is and what he calls you to, when you experience that, you just want others to experience well. You invite others into this praise, into this worship. Let's pray. Father, you know our hearts. We pray now that you'd give us grace to boast in you. To rest secure in our identity that's found in and through your son, Jesus. Give us confidence to run to you in the midst of our fears. To know that in those moments you are all powerful and yet you are all good. Give us strength to align our hearts and our lives with your ways. And may you quench all that we fear, knowing what your son has done for us. We pray this in your name. Amen.